Hi everyone, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. It is November 7th, 2023, the 23rd day of Keshavan 5784. Exactly a month since the what we're calling here the Black the Black Shabbat, the massacres of Hamas into the Western Negev. Um, I just lit a candle. They had they asked that there be a moment of silence at 11 o'clock this morning here in Israel and that everyone light a memorial candle. Um, obviously, they didn't wail the sirens as we do on our official Memorial Day, because these days those sirens are <laughs> wailing a lot and uh, can't freak anybody out. But this was kind of this was an, uh, an, an um, like a civilian initiative. This wasn't done by the government. They have other thing on their plate right now. But this is something that I think also speaks to the complete and total involvement of the Israeli public in what's happening here on every level. If it's not, you know, just, just the soldiers who are actually fighting the battle, it's the home front, it's the volunteers, it's it's everything that's happening here and the constant grief that we're all carrying inside us while we go about our daily lives. Personally, I'm up every single morning at four and I can't go back to sleep, say some Psalms, have a small panic attack, walk around trying to figure out what I can do to make things better. And I know that I'm not alone, but I do want to share with all of you before we start um, my interview for today that I have a new grandson. Thank God he was born um, just before Shabbat started a week and a half ago. His father was able to get out of the army in order to be at his birth, um, which my daughter thanked him for in the middle of her labor. She said, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and she was one of the few women giving birth who actually had their husbands by their side um, in Sharit Tzedek Hospital that day. And um, they had a Brit, and his name is Erez Avraham. Erez means a cedar tree, um, a very strong, very strong tree, whose, um, whose the wood from it was used to build the first temple, Erez Levanon. Solomon apparently waits for the for the timber to come down the coast in order to build the first temple. And it just has a lot of meaning in many ways. And Avraham, of course, is in addition to being my son-in-law's father, because Sfaradim, um, name after people who are alive, they actually think it's weird that we Ashkenazim name after people who are dead. I, I kind of see their point right now. But anyhow, with all the, the weekly parashot, the weekly um, portions that we're reading, it just came at a very auspicious time talking about the, the covenant with God, the Brit, um, and a lot of the things that go on at the very, 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 very beginning of monotheism of Abraham and the family that he and Sarah start, and the tensions inherent thereof that we are still living with today with who may not be Ishmael's actual descendants, it's not very clear at all, but definitely his spiritual descendants. And um, and so what happened so long ago, 3,800 years ago, is like it's happening right now. And it's it's just crazy. Um, but I wanted to segue a little bit from everything that's happening here, which I'm sure many of you are hearing about all the time, and go into a little bit of uh, history and education. And so for that, that I could ask for no one better than Yisrael Medad, an old friend and mentor who I've had on the show before. For the purposes of this interview, he's the research fellow at the Menachem Begin a research fellow at the Menachem Begin Heritage Center, an expert in Jabotinsky, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But he's so much more. He has he's worked in the Knesset. He's worked with many different members of Knesset. 
And uh, he's been all over the place for many, 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 many years. And I have to say, he's probably my number one resource when I have a question. He's like my walking encyclopedia. So Winky, I'm gonna call you by your nickname. Thank you so much for joining me here today on Rejuvenation. Eve, thank you very much for having you on. And I love <laughs> that very long, long, many years. Yes. <laughs> you don't look it though at all. They'll have to take my word for it. Just the question, where your boy, where's your the boys, your family? What's going on? Uh, with all of kids? my family are home except for one boy uh, who we managed to see yesterday because he had to go for a special course. Uh and was able to come home over Shabbat. And he was he also passed. called in. Uh he was called in and he's up somewhere in the north. I didn't even ask him which north. Right. He's probably not going to tell you. And that I also have a son up near the Lebanese border. And that's uh, something that's just kind of getting more tense as the days go on. And uh, we'll see what we'll see what goes on with that. Anyway, but this last week we celebrated, commemorated, acknowledged. I don't know what word we use anymore when it comes to dates. Um, a very important. Uh, what would you call it? Paper treatise book. Um, that came out 100 years ago. So maybe tell, let's do some education today. I'm, it's so hard for me to not be teaching and not be guiding. So let's do that for the next few minutes. So please tell my listeners um, about your expertise in Njabotinsky. Okay, I'll try to do this as uh, summarily as, uh, as, as possible. We're marking 100 years since two articles appeared. One was called The Iron Wall, and that appeared on November 4th, 1923. And the following week, uh, the ethics of the Iron Wall appeared. And they basically go together because they're, uh, they're one long article. Where did they and appear? They appeared in a Russian language uh, bulletin that came out in France, in Paris. In Paris, after World War One, there was a lot of emigre Russians, especially Jews, but also everybody else. And they gathered there. Why France? I think ever since Napoleon and whoever wrote uh, uh, all sorts of books and novels about about uh, uh, Russia at that time, uh, was everything was French. French was the the uh, the, the Russian culture. Uh, so uh, what happened was that there were, he published it there. Uh, oddly enough, since you asked about where it was published, a month later it was published in Mandate Palestine in Arabic. Really? In a, in a, yes, in an in the Arab that. newspaper called Palestine uh, or Philistine in, in, in Arabic. And immediately it was translated into about a half a dozen languages and uh, it, it became a, a canon or canonical piece of, of literature because it dealt with what turned out to be not only at that time, but as you and I are now talking 100 years later, some basic principles uh, and elements of, of fundamental ideas of Arabs and Jews and Zionism and morality and nationalism and peace, and I can go on and on, uh, that hold true for arguments uh, to, to argue about today. And well, to just put it into context, 1923 is, as you said, just after World War One. The British have the mandate uh, for Palestine, which is not a Palestinian state with indigenous Palestinians in it. The Jews are actually called the Palestinians and the Arabs are the Arabs of southern Syria. It's 25 years before the creation of the modern day state of Israel. Um, we have Aliyah. We have Jews coming here uh, in waves uh, from 
from Europe. This is, of course, before the Holocaust. Um, although after different pogroms, I mean, it wasn't like things were so great there. But tell us a little bit about the man who wrote this, about Vladimir Jabotinsky. Because really, you I mean, I consider you one of the experts. You were even in Odessa, um, where he where he lived and has really done a tremendous research on him. So, you know, what is it about him that puts him in the position to be able to write a paper that is still so relevant a century later? Well, up until... Jabotinsky became a Zionist at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th. He was very well held in esteem among uh, literary circles in Russia. Maxim Gorky praised him. Uh, he had a permanent seat in the Odessa Opera House. He was like a, a what today we would think of as a Broadway intellectual, okay, if mm -hmm. I can use that phrase, or West or, or East Coast liberal. And all of a sudden became a Zionist because of the pogroms in Odessa and other places in Russia around 1903-1905. Skip forward to World War One. He came up with the idea of creating a Jewish legion, uh, uh, Jews who would volunteer to serve as soldiers fighting on the Palestine front. Uh, and then he became very involved in the Balfour de 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 Declaration deliberations because he was in England at that time. And in 1920, he was here when the first riots broke out in Jerusalem, when Jews were killed, women were raped, uh, and, and, and it was pillaging. Uh, it was, uh, in terms of numbers, of course, much less than what we saw a month ago. But, but it was the same thing, if I can mm -hmm. say that, that the way with full confidence. And it happened again in May of 1921 in Jaffa and a few other places, Betach Tikva. And, and that year in November, it also happened in Jerusalem again. So the the, the articles he wrote were on, the, on the one side, the background of the failing of the British administration to adequately defend the Jews. And, of course, the Arab opposition, violent opposition and, and, and pogroms against the Jews. And on the background of a third leg, if I can use it that way, that the Zionist officialdom, both in England, where the Zionist organization had its seat, and in Jerusalem, where it had its offices, were wishy-washy, were not firm in demanding from Britain that they defend the Jews adequately and tell the Arabs, we're very sorry, we have a League of Nations uh, a decision. We have a Balfour Declaration, at least San Remo West, Conference. The San whole Remo Conference, mm -hmm. right? At least the Western Bank of the Jordan River is the, going to become the Jewish national home. The Eastern side we'll talk about later. I'm, I'm trying to phrase it in a, in a well. In we would now way. call the country of Jordan, which was that's initially right, but, part of the mandate. That's mm -hmm. right. Okay. And Jabotinsky looks at this, and uh, whatever hair he had. He was beginning to rip out because everything was falling apart. The Jewish legion that he founded was disbanded. So there was no real voluntary Jewish militia. The, the Palestine police was mainly Arab with a few Jewish uh, uh, policemen. You had the Shomer, you had like an ad hoc group that tried yeah, but to this was protect nothing the communities. Because, yeah. Yes, it was, it, it was nothing because in order to be able to defend someone, you have to have someone you can keep your arms right? Mm -hmm. A warehouse, mm -hmm. right? You have to be able to command them. 
You have to be able to buy arms, have the ability. You have to train them, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, And all sorts of things. And you can't do that in an underground, okay? The only reason, and I can jump forward just a little bit, the undergrounds of the 1940s were anyway uh, uh, successful was because they had 20 years of repairing, basically because of the Haganah, because of this and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. It wasn't immediate and stuff like that. And, 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 And he sees... That instead of Chaim Weitzman smashing the table of the High Commissioner or the Secretary of State or the Secretary for Colonies, he's being well. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can accept an Arab Federation. Maybe we could do this. And and so this article comes on the background of of, of, of several layers of opposition he sees that Zionism is facing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what's happening? is he's trying to solve about half a dozen problems in one article at this all at the same time. So explain the article. Like, what is the Iron Wall? Jabotinsky said, A, the Arabs will never agree to peace and agreement of any diplomatic source with the Jews. The Indians didn't do it in America, and the Irish didn't do it with the English, and A, make... He draws various parallels. He says, a native people, and here, again, we're looking now 100 years back. Some of the terms, of course, we define differently today. When he said Mm -hmm. native people, he didn't mean they belonged there. Indigenous, yes. Right, but they were there. Right. They were there, right? Mm -hmm. We could call them Southern Syrians, and that's what they were. And And many came in to find work and and were nomads and were drifting through at different times. Yeah. And at that time, a lot of them were simply Bedouin who were wandering Mm -hmm. on both sides of the Jordan River. So, uh, so, uh, and he uses the word, for example, colonization. Today, that's a that's a that's a non-word for Zionist, right? But what he was talking about was settlement of Jews coming in from abroad and coming back home, mm-hmm. not going to a foreign land. So what he said was, in order to stave off any hope of the Arabs that they can overcome Zionism, we have to build an iron wall. Now, when he said iron wall, he didn't mean a wall of iron. Right. He meant a wall that number one, yes did have strong Jewish defenders behind it, but it also meant diplomatically, politically, culturally, economically, in other words, to show that the state, the future state of Israel, is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, we could look back at this and say, well, 100 years afterwards, either the wall failed or this, or the thought that the Arabs eventually would be able somehow to come to terms with us is wrong. But that doesn't mean that his thinking at that time, and basically some of the things he wrote in the article, uh, I have it right next to me here, it, both articles together, is about 12 pages in English, okay, it, it is not true. And, and I, I mention that only because last week, someone from the an Arab, of the Arab citizen in Israel wrote about how the Jews in the wake of October 7th are going back to the mandate days to try to find out what's happening. And he mentioned the uh, uh, to this Arab audience, uh, Jabotinsky's Iron Wall, as wow. one of the elements in which Jews are coming back to. And so it's it's over the years, it's always been popping up every once in a while, but it has very a lot of fundamentals, and it's been used also as a learning text in the IDF 
to senior officers that I know because we do programs with the IDF and in, in explaining to them the article and having them debate it and try to use it in their educational programs. So for those who are not aware, Jabotinsky is considered, I suppose, the spiritual leader of today's Likud party, although you could make a very good case that it's not really where he would have wanted it to be. The inspiration from Menachem Begin, of course, who becomes prime minister in 1977 for the Beitaristim before that. But even though since 1977, more or less, the Likud and that side of the political spectrum has has been in power in Israel. Would you say, though, that, that Jabotinsky's ideology or thought process is the one that has run the country? Because it, it doesn't seem that that idea is really, when we talk about the concepcia that failed, this idea that the Arabs will one day accept us, we'll have a two-state solution, or you know, as long as we give them jobs and they'll put aside their hatred of us, has crashed and burned. So um, so how, why would you say that, that, that even though Jabotinsky founded this party, that they, they to a great degree didn't follow what he had laid out? Well, um, Avi Schlein, who was an Iraqi Jew, who moved to England at a young age in the 50s and has become an uh, outstanding anti-Israel writer and anti-Zionist writer. In fact, he just wrote his uh, autobiography, published his autobiography, wrote a whole book on the Iron Wall saying that David Ben-Gurion adopted Jabotinsky's basic positions and was very critical of that because he wanted the left, of course, to be much more forthcoming and much more um, compromising, if I could say, in that sense. And he said, actually, it was the Jabotinsky thinking of the Iron Wall as he interpreted, I'm not going to mm -hmm. say he understood it exactly 100%. So not only are you perhaps correct that basically he could, should have adopted and and pushed the Iron Wall thinking more, but to a larger extent, the state of Israel basically did it. I mean, if we could, for our audience who probably is not 100% on Israeli history, I mean, if we were now in the 1950s, we'd be talking about reprisal raids right. and and going across the border and Ben-Gurion not even telling Abba Eben, his foreign minister, what happened the other day. So mm -hmm. he talks to the United Nations and basically lies. OK, that would be horrendous today. But in the 1950s, that was going on all the time. And it was basically, in a sense, the Iron Wall. Uh, for the Likud, though, uh, Likud has always had a inferiority complex, if I could say that, and I'm, I, I come from that from within. So I think right, I can talk and you with worked little... for many. You worked for, with and for many of the Likud members. Right, a little bit of authority on that, as you say. Um, always, I'm not going to say apologizing, uh, but uh, not being forthright. In fact, if I can say so, I have an op-ed article in the Jerusalem Post today in which I mentioned that in, even in Hasbara, we never are strong in pushing back. We always point out their mistakes, but we don't say exactly what the real reality is. And we're always a little bit embarrassed to punish the Arabs because then it makes them look bad. And they're more victims and the more the the intellectuals and the wokies and the progressive have sympathy for them. It's like a, it's like a, a cesspool. You never be able to get out of it. 
So mm. uh, to a certain extent, I'm not going to say that about Shamia, but but Mr. Netanyahu, Mr. Benjamin Netanyahu is very much um, attentive to uh, what people say and publish in the New York Times and, and say on the BBC. And uh, he his messaging is together with that. And it only because he does that all the time, when he comes out and says something very strong, he becomes viewed as extreme. Right. Which, so one lesson that could be learned is say your message consistently, nicely, but firmly, and then people will perhaps uh, a little bit respect you a little bit more rather than uh, being upset by what you're saying. Well, I mean, we can go even further and say that it's the good prime ministers who were the ones who did this whole land for peace or so much of this that has gotten us into trouble. Begin by leaving the Sinai Desert, the Sinai Peninsula, can argue whether it was a good idea to have a peace treaty with Egypt or not, but that certainly set a precedent uh, in the early 1980s. And that was Begin, Menachem Begin, the Likud prime minister, and of course, Ariel Sharon, who set the stage in many ways for the tragedies that we're seeing today in Gaza by the 2005 uh, expulsion of the Jews from Gaza and leaving the area to the Hamas so that they can really entrench themselves as as an enemy, uh, not just like some loose little group of terrorists, but with the the tunnels and everything else, like a serious, a serious and and horrific fighting force that's t- that is already taken a toll in lives and and unfortunately will continue to do so. So those were really good prime ministers. Well, okay, they were really good prime ministers for sure. I think Shamir was a lot different, and Nari yes. Sharon actually came more from a Mapai background. Right, but True. but but you're right in, in, in overall. But but the point is, is that uh, let me give you an example, okay? Uh, and I, I use it in my article today, right? Biden and 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 Blinken both came out saying, "Listen, guys, Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people." So let's not get into trouble with the Palestinian Authority and let's deal with Hamas, and, and but don't deal with the people. So first of all, A, Hamas was elected into power and no one has really protested much about them being there. Mm-hmm. Secondly, Mr. Abbas, who heads the Palestinian Authority, is basically paying also Hamas people who are sitting in jail for killing or injuring Jews. Also, my understanding is that Kfar Aza, one of the communities that was taken over in on October 7th, were Fatah people. It wasn't Hamas people. It was Fatah. That okay. is on record. That's the PLO. That's Abbas's people. It's right. all the same. Right. And Mr. Abbas, t-shirts. That's about and it. Mr. Abbas, Mr. Mahmoud Abbas, this past year, twice has come out with Holocaust denial statements. If you remember the 50 yeah. Holocausts and then again and again, and he apologizes. So oh. Bibi, Mr. Netanyahu, had a perfect entree to say, what are you talking about, Mr. President? They're the same thing. Mm-hmm. There is no real difference. Where do you think the Hamas got their 1,500 or whatever number of people across the border? They've been educating them and training them for the past 20 years because they're in charge of Gaza, Mm -hmm. because they run the schools. And the school propaganda curriculum, et cetera, is almost the same in Ramallah and Janine as it is in Gaza and Khan Yunus. So let's get this off the table. He did not take that advantage. And okay, he could have said it a lot better than I mm-hmm. just said it now, but the, the message is the same. And 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 here, going back to Jabodinsky, here Jabodinsky is very clear. He's He says, listen, Zionism is moral and just. If you don't believe that, get off the train. 
Okay, we have no room in the future for people who keep on uh, uh, arguing about whether Zionism is, 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 is just. The Jewish people in its national homeland of over 3,000 years is just and ethical. And those who are trying to kill us or prevent that state at that time from being established right. or trying to eradicate that state 2002, uh, 2023 are wrong and they must be treated as so and they have to be dealt with. You, de you deal with, again, to use his uh, uh, idea of an iron war, strong diplomacy, strong PR, strong organization for college students, uh, all the things that, to be honest, I see wrong and you see wrong today, I think, we could have been prepared for. We could have been said, listen, this is the message. We've lost almost a half or more generation of university students from what I see, from what I read, uh, in terms of going out. And even though they're a minority, that's true. But the problem is, especially in universities, is that the professors are stuck there with tenure, yeah. right? So they're there for the next 10, 15 years. They're the same Marxist professors and progressives who have been teaching these kids about uh, critical race theory and Israel is wrong, ipso facto, no matter what we do. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, the, uh, the, the Soviets won in the end, I think, that Cold War by infiltrating our universities and the minds of our young people. We're seeing it now. I remember a few years ago, I spoke in Atlanta and I asked a father why he was sending his kid to an Ivy League school that was so virulently anti-Israel. He said, well, it's Ivy League. I said, you, but, but it's going to teach your kid everything that you've tried to not teach him in the first 18 years, but it's Ivy League. So I think everybody's, you know, got the wake up call there about what's happening in these so-called Ivy League schools. But it's incredible. As you said, it's very intimidating to be on campus there, even if it's a minority. It's a vocal and violent minority, as we're seeing. And while it wasn't on campus, I mean, I'm from, I made Aliyah from Los Angeles in 1988. And yesterday, somebody, an Israeli, a Jew was killed in Los Angeles at, at a demonstration, uh, you know, counter, uh, it was against a, a pro-Palestinian demonstration. Someone hit him on the head with a megaphone and killed him. So, you know, the, those, uh, the so-called liberal, wonderful people, open-minded people are, are, are either themselves incredibly violent or definitely aiding and abetting violence. And you talk about what Jabotinsky said, the West Bank, meaning from the Jordan River to the sea, the same mantra that's now being chanted everywhere from the Jordan River to the sea, Palestine will be free, is the elimination of Israel. It's not two-state solution. It's not living side by side. It's none of it. It's replacing the vibrant, democratic, freedom of speech, amazing country of Israel with a terror state. And there are people who think that they're moral and good who are chanting that. It just like, it just boggles the mind. I really, I wonder what, what Jabotinsky would have thought of today. If he's in, in his wildest nightmares, he would have imagined how, how far this would get and how global it would be. Two short comments on that. Number one, as I put up a, a meme today on, on Facebook, I said, you know, Arabs are being killed all over the world. Saudi Arabia versus Yemen, Yemen versus Saudi Arabia, uh, Iraq, uh, in the past two or three years, Tunisia, you can go all around. Did you see any college student demonstrating against no. Arabs being killed? No. It's only when Jews are involved or Israel yeah. involved, all of a sudden, tens of thousands of people are coming out. Something is wrong there. And the second thing is that the posters that were put up for the people who were abducted right. okay, and taken to Gaza, this is whatever you think about the, the conflict or the political solution, Right. This is a purely 
humane, humanitarian, human rights issue. They shouldn't be there. They are kidnapped by a terrorist group. When it happened to Boko Haram or whatever they right. call it a couple of years ago, the whole world. Michelle right. Obama all had that right. whole thing. So, right. so now you see these college kids, and they're not all Arabs. In fact, some of them are Jews. In fact, they caught a, a prosecutor. Uh, a, a New York uh, prosecutor tearing them down, mm -hmm. right? Why are you tearing them down? What? What? Right. And some of them say, "Well, they shouldn't be up because they're dirtying, right?" So, okay, <laughs> let me see you now walk down Broadway and rip down fifteen thousand signs it's... that are stuck up on on right. everything all over the place, from from uh, concerts to uh, protests or like that. This is this is anti-Semitism. This is the ability of the latent anti-Semite to come out and do something against the Jew, right? Because Israel is the Jew, because uh, you mentioned the, the, the poor fellow, uh, Paul Kessler, who was, yeah. who was murdered in, in Los Angeles. Well, there's a Jewish woman in Lyon, France, right? Yes, who was stabbed, stabbed to death. And, in and, her apartment, and, yeah. Know, so, so this is not a fun type of, uh, of, of situation we're in, and we're allowed to be angry, and we're allowed to be forceful about the situation. Uh, and uh, and we're allowed to be warriors. Too damn bad. I know the world is very happy when Jews are victims and they'll throw up Holocaust memorials, memorials right and left. We're done with the memorials. Okay, which what we saw a month ago is that there are people out there, too many people out there who would just like to destroy us and maim us and kill us. And we're not going to, this time we don't let it happen. This time it's different. We have an well, army, we have a country, and hopefully we have leadership who understand because the people get it. The people understand that this evil has to be completely wiped out. We're not willing to then end the day with Gaza being given to the Palestinian Authority so they can start it all over again. And that has to be figured out what will happen with Gaza. I mean, my personal wish, of course, is in the absence of the tsunami that washes all the Arabs out to sea, then perhaps we can you know, somehow get all these countries that care so much for the Palestinians to take them in. And then because if we're so bad to them, then you wouldn't want them to be neighbors with us. So here's an opportunity for them to give you a better life in your neighborhood. Let's see how that goes. All right. And none yeah, of that's well, going to happen. And we'll have to see. Yeah. I, 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 as you just mentioned, right, about taking refugees. I mean, Syrians, by the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, yeah. flooded Europe and everybody took them in. Okay. Talking about the Palestinians, quote unquote, anybody want to take them in? No one wants yeah. it. Not but even Egypt, who's who's just down twenty miles down the down the road, doesn't want to let them in. Mm -hmm. So uh, why should we be the ones to have to suffer them? You want them? You take them. It's also right? not like they're the indigenous people here who've been here forever. I mean, these are anyhow refugees who just by happen chance were in Gaza at a certain time period and their leadership made mistakes and they made mistakes. And personally, I think Begin made a mistake at the time and in not insisting that Egypt take Gaza. If we already have the Camp David Accords, and I'm speaking as someone who loved Gush Katif and had many friends who lived there, but this is before the Jews went and built their beautiful communities there. Um, which, you know, it, to, uh, to, you know, to make sure that we wouldn't have to deal with this, but Egypt at the time didn't want them either. I mean, hint, hint, everybody, really, you know, what's happening here. So I just want to add one thing, though, about Jabotinsky, which some people might not realize, in addition to the fact that he wanted a different kind of economy, you know, he, he already promoted not the wow. socialism yeah, that we're still climbing out of here wow. with 
with uh, some of the, you know, uh, bureaucracy and things that we have here. Um, but he also felt that there should always be a scan, like a number two in government, if I'm, if I'm not incorrect, that was an Arab, like with the idea that they understood that the Jewish state was here to stay and there's no messing with us and we're not we're not compromising on anything because it's our moral right to protect ourselves. Yet the Arabs should be treated as, you know, full citizens and with the ultimate respect, those who decide to be here. Well, absolutely. That's in the article. And in fact, mm -hmm. it's in his last book that he wrote in 1940, uh, just before he died. Uh, the Arab Angle Undramatized, I think was the name of the article. And uh, he said that he views the possibility and, and in fact, uh, he thinks that Israel should be a state where national minorities exist together. Remember, actually his, his MA, if I can say so, was on the Austrian system of government where multiple nationalities had cultural, language, educational rights, but were Austrians, okay? And this is what he said we could do in Israel. Israel is a country of the Jews. It doesn't mean the Arabs cannot be fully uh, uh, comfortable in the state and full citizens. Of course, he Which said, is what we have. Which is what we have, right? As long as A, you're loyal, and, and B, you agree with the fact that the Jews should have a state. If you want mm -hmm. to undermine it and be subversive, of course, there's going to be things. But it, it, he, Jabotinsky was a true liberal. He believed that people are basically good. You just have to make sure, on the one hand, they don't bite you. And on the other hand, you give them as much possibility to see that if they are good, it'll be better for them. He didn't want to say that I could buy you off. In fact, in the article, he says there are certain peacemongers among us Jews who think all we have to do is pay them in some sort of currency, whether it's jobs, employment, or whatever, and they will be good. That won't work. That was the Shimon Peres theory as well. Yeah. Right. Right. But it was also the Weizmann theory early mm -hmm. on, also the same thing like that. And not only that, it was also some of the kibbutzim, unfortunately, in the area of the Western Negev, right. because they were actually helping. They were driving them to the hospitals. They were employing them mm -hmm. in the kibbutzim, in the fields, stuff like that. And, you know, it, 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 it's, they were it's, killed and, and taken hostage and, that's and, right. and murdered quite unfortunate and dismembered that, that, anyway. That this happened. But uh, I hope people realize what the situation is. So, so to go back to the very first words that I spoke and you and I spoke about, is that not that nothing has changed. What hasn't changed is some basic underlying fundamental principles to how Jews and Arabs are going to live together or not in this area of the Jewish national homeland. And to try to come up with new ideas and ignore the history of the conflict is not going to be good for the future or even for the present. And so I really suggest that you know, whoever's listening to this program, and I thank you very much for allowing me to be on, right? Okay. Simply Google Jabotinsky Iron Wall and read the article. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes. Nothing will go wrong with you, <laughs> and, and you'll be a lot smarter uh, and, and a little bit more uh, with with more perspective and understanding 
of the conflict. And to understand that this didn't happen because of the settlements of 1967 or anything that Israel has done to them uh, that has made them so upset that they were forced to behead babies and gang rape women and then cut their breasts off and all the other unspeakable horrors that they did a month ago that... Um, if you go back to the Bible, which is more relevant every single day, that that tells us that people like this, call them Amalek, call them Ishmael, call them whatever you can, have to be eradicated from the globe. It's part of the mandate of decent human beings to take that evil out. Because they're not just coming after the Jews, ladies and gentlemen. It starts with the Jews. It never ends with the Jews. So keeping Israel at the forefront, helping Israel, leaning on your on your congress on your congressional uh, you know representatives or whoever you know people of influence to allow Israel to finish this and not be forced into doing anything ceasefires or any of the like that will somehow um, impede the need that we need to do this for everybody because we're really at the forefront of the good part of the world which seems to be shrinking as we speak. And so whatever you can do, those of you who are listening and those of you who care, um, that that is what we need from you right now. In addition to your prayers, which I know are many, and I get wonderful letters from all of you, I appreciate every single one. I really do. And many of you do understand the bigger picture and the bigger picture of God in the world and what he wants from us as individuals and uh, as nations. So um, I just want to thank you once again, Israel Maydad, a Winky is your nickname, for joining us today, shedding some light on things. And um, people who don't know the history have no context of what's happening today. And unfortunately, then lead us into a future that is not gonna get any better. So um, the blessing that I gave my new grandson is that when he's 18 years old, he won't have to serve in an army because the ancient prophecy will come true. We won't have wars anymore. And we won't have to do that. And then he'll be able to choose as part of his national service, because you still need to do something for your country, the ability to go to one of the renewed Jewish communities on in Gaza and be able to pick oranges or whatever it is his heart's desire, um, or do some archaeology because there's some amazing history there as well. So we'll see if that happens. Our blessings are very wide. And it's for them that we're doing this. It's for your grandchildren, Wink, and mine, and everybody who's listening, because they have to be able to inherit a better world than we did. And um, and for that, we are all a part of that. And of course, our prayers are a huge part of that as well. So I just want to thank Tabitha and Ben for putting out this show, to all of you for listening. And um, I hope that you have a good week. And um, may the forces of good, of righteousness, prevail over the forces of evil. Thank you so much, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Goodbye. Bye.